This is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus. I wanted to remind you that the show is not intended to be a recommendation for diagnosis or treatment of any condition for any specific person. Please consult your mental health professional or doctor managing your ADHD or mental health issues about any diagnosis or treatment-related information that you hear on the show. Refer your ADHD provider to the show if he or she would like more information. Thank you. Welcome, and I'm so glad you're all here today for what I think is going to be the first of two very special shows on emotions and ADHD and how they fit into your motivation being robbed or murdered, I guess. My guest is Dr. Tamara Rosier. Uh, She has been a professor, a college administrator, a leadership consultant, a high school teacher, a business owner, and is now an ADHD coach, in addition to probably a couple of those others. She also has ADHD, um, as do I. And she founded the ADHD Center of West Michigan, and they have a team of folks who help people with ADHD. She just had her book published, Your Brain's Not Broken, Strategies for Navigating Your Emotions and Life with ADD. Tamara, welcome to the program. So glad to be here. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about the uh, things that rob those of us with ADHD of our motivation. Uh, And first we need to and since those usually have a lot of emotional basis to it, it's not just um, something other you're thinking isn't right. Uh, let's talk about how the ADHD brain works and sometimes doesn't work and how it's different than the non-ADHD brains because that, I think, is the underpinning of then what gets into the emotional part. One of the biggest brain differences when we have ADHD is how our prefrontal cortex works. And if um, I ask your listeners to tap on the, their forehead, um, kind of at their at the temple and right above their nose, that's where the prefrontal cortex is. And that prefrontal cortex, when it's getting enough blood, enough dopamine, that is the seat of the executive function. And, well, you know the problem, David. It doesn't always work for those of us with ADHD. Keeping in mind what's just happened so I can use it for what's coming next, which is the working memory, shortest of memory, and then short term, what happened today. We need good stuff so that can go into the long term. But all those keep track of things, make decisions, that's the executive function part. Um, yeah. And, and because we don't have that prefrontal cortex working reliably, I mean, it works, but it, it's not a reliable function. Um, humans are geniuses, and we'll go to different parts of the brain to compensate. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways we predictably compensate is by using our limbic system. And the limbic system is a very 
yeah, very primitive part of the brain. And kind of nestled right in there is the amygdala. And that is the place where um, fight, flighter, uh, freeze comes in. Mm-hmm. So we see a lot of ADHD folks kind of stuck in that fight, flight, or freeze mentality. Yes. And the, the uh, issue with the, the prefrontal cortex with ADHD isn't the level of dopamine. There's plenty there. But right. it isn't where it needs to be to carry the signal to the next part of the, the network and connection. So right. signal comes down the nerve, dopamine gets released, and bounces on some receptors. Message keeps going, and the dopamine gets recycled back into the place it started so it can be used again. People with ADHD, that recycling system is going too fast. Right. So dopamine comes out, taken right back up. There isn't enough dopamine in the area between the nerves called the synapse. That's where there's not enough to make it work. Really excited about something. Deadlines tomorrow. There's some adrenaline with that. In the brain, that's called norepinephrine, and that can complete the circuit. Um, Can we just say a quick word about stimulants? Sure. Um, and I'm sure you run into this all the time. And so this is one of my biggest pet peeves. I've run into uh, physicians who still believe that stimulants are, are um, that people can be addicted to them. You know, Have you I, run across? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think there are a lot of um, clinicians, doctors, nurse practitioners, pharmacists who think, oh, you're going to get addicted to these, and some physicians say, I don't want to have anything to do with those medicines. Well, right. Or asthma. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, right. So the, so, the thing is, I don't believe people with ADHD can become addicted. I've seen over no. 3,000 people in 15 years one or two, and I could identify, you're just looking for Adderall. You don't really have ADD. Right. Because people with ADD, you take enough and it works. Yeah. You take more, yeah. it doesn't feel good. There's no incentive. Exactly. Going. Exactly. It, and that's the reason they need to put the warnings on it. Yeah, someone who doesn't have ADD, man, they feel great. But then that wears off over a couple of weeks. But if I take two of them, then I feel good. And they're chasing the rush, and that's a setup for addiction. So So what gets other people hopped up makes us normal. mm Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm saying normal, you know, you can't see my air quotes, but I'm using air quotes. Yes. Right? And plenty of people with ADD will say, yeah, I took Adderall, and that calmed my brain down. Now I have only three things to think about instead of 48. (laughs) Right. That's exactly what it does. Now it's got yep. those emotional things not being the directors and your thinking parts. The PFC yeah. can direct things. Yeah. So, yeah. so thanks for letting me take that little side road. I oh, just, yeah. 
um, every chance I get, I just want to get the word out that, you know, stimulants help us regulate our dopamine. Mm-hmm. Because they, basically, they slow down that recycling that's going to Exactly. Fast. You can't think it slower. You can't learn to make that slower. It's just a little thing that's genetically programmed, and that's the way it's set. So Exactly. Yep. Things work better. So when, yeah. when our ADHD brains get hijacked by emotions, that's, uh, that's the workaround. That's what's, what's there. Um, what <laughs> yeah, and we use those emotions um, as funky ways to motivate ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where uh, we want to go today. Yes. And one thing we, we, we touched on the fact that the amygdala, which is the amygdala, which is the, the watch guard, that's the guard at the gates, guarding the castle, and when something comes along that could be a danger or had been a danger in the past, and the memory function, which is right next to the amygdala, says, oh, remember, bang, we're off into the emotional reaction. And this happens with everybody. You have a strong emotion and you get angry, whatever, there's no thinking pathways going on for anybody when you're right in it. People with ADHD, <laughs> whoever, slide into those um, and can't take a break and access the thinking one very easily. Because the thinking right. one isn't online, basically. Yeah. So what, uh, what are the, the six... Emotional workarounds, I guess. Yeah. So um, in my book, I write about six um, murderers of motivation. And the reason I I call them murderers is we think, we actually think they're going to help us. And we try to access it because it's like accessing a shortcut. Mm -hmm. And we think it's going to help us get our jobs done. And so there's six of them, and I'll just rattle them off, and then we'll talk about three today. Uh, the first one is anxiety. Second one's avoidance. Third, procrastination. And then anger, shame, and then self-loathing. And so if you notice, the last three kind of get a little darker. The first mm-hmm. three... Um, I, they're, they don't, in our society, they're not as evil. Um, they don't look as evil, but I, I really want to be clear that these are um, just as evil as the darker ones, and they all kind of slide into self-loathing eventually. Yeah. And so the reason why we don't want to mess around with anxiety or avoidance or procrastination is because eventually it will lead to self-loathing. So yeah, here's yeah. what I mean. Uh, our prefrontal cortex doesn't have the just do it button. The just do it button says, hey, Tamara, you need to do this task. And the prefrontal cortex goes, good idea, we're on it. Well, Tamara's brain does not do that. Mm-hmm. Probably David's brain doesn't either, no. right? Absolutely not. 
And so then I go back to my limbic center, like a method actor going, what's my motivation? What's my motivation? Mm -hmm. And then I come up with, hey, I got a great idea. How would I use anxiety? If I scare myself enough and tell myself this is such a big deal and if I screw it up, everything's going to blow up. That's going to help me produce more dopamine. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So, um, so anxiety is like using gasoline. We're using um, anxiety. Right? You know, if, if you could imagine a little tiny flame, we put gasoline on that flame to make it just blow up. Mm -hmm. But in that metaphor I just used, notice it's not sustainable, is it? It will no, flame it for a moment, right? Right. The energy, it takes incredible emotional energy to keep that going as it does with, with any of these. Right. And so your listeners are probably thinking, yeah, but if I don't use anxiety, what else would I use? And that's why we were opening up the, this, um, this time by talking about, you know, how the ADHD brain is different and how the synapses are working differently. And really, we want you to look at medication as one way to start to give you more options than just using anxiety as a motivator. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know about you, but I had a job when I, um, you know, I was in charge. I think it was when I was a dean. I was in charge of a lot. A lot of moving pieces. It wasn't necessarily a healthy place to work. And I remember scaring myself out of bed every morning. Mm. And I was using anxiety to keep myself alert. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't medicated then. Life was really exhausting for me then. But I was trying to approximate uh, dopamine regulation through my anxiety. Yep. That's the... Uh generated that adrenaline and then avoiding it is another let's just jump out of it completely I'm gonna go do all right else. well you know avoiding is kind of um, people are like really I, how do I motivate myself to do something um, by avoiding something well here's the classic example I give um, every year I work with college students exams are just barreling down on them He's like, mm -hmm. yep, all day Saturday I'm going to study. And they plop down on their bed to study, and then they realize their sock drawer is very dirty. And they should probably organize their sock drawer. And so sure enough, they spend four hours uh, categorizing their socks, going through all their socks, and now they have a beautiful sock drawer. And so, sure. yes, they're they're motivated to finally do their sock drawer, but they were motivated by avoidance of what they should mm -hmm. have been doing. Well, they look at their phone and think, oh, boy, the memory's down. I better look through all the apps and see which ones they don't <laughs> need. Oh, that's in here? What does that do? And you're off looking up something about rabbits, and mm -hmm. not only did you not yeah. the app, <laughs> get your paper started either. Exactly, exactly. And so uh, this this avoidance thing, we're, we're masterful at it. Uh, I was working with a very smart young man 
um, and, and when I say very smart, I'm, I'm really saying quite intelligent. And he was working for a company that was moving him every six months to be trained in many different um, mm. parts of the company. He literally avoided getting housing when he was supposed to move to Boston. And here's what was happening. He was having a lot of anxiety, like, ah, I just, I don't know about Boston. For some reason, he had a, he was um, kind of hesitant about Boston. Mm-hmm. And so every time he went to rent a place, he would distract himself by doing other things that mm-hmm. were just as important. Until he distracted himself so much, he literally forgot to get housing. And two mm-hmm. days before he moved, we happened to have a session. I said, so um, we haven't talked about housing in a while. And he said, oh, my gosh, Tamara, I didn't do it. And then he went back to anxiety to motivate himself, and that was a whole coaching opportunity for us. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, the avoidance has a, a basis in fear often. Um, and it, yeah, said, yeah, good observation. avoided it by doing things just as important. Well, in the ADHD brain, everything is <laughs> the same level of importance. The doctor exactly. starting the paper, finding housing mm-hmm. or um, managing to figure out what to have for dinner or how to use um, the new phone you just got. Yeah. And yeah, not putting it in yeah. perspective, which gets into the not planning and looking into the future. <laughs> the right. It isn't working. So they, yep. the next one, which is something, if someone says they don't procrastinate, I really have to wonder if they really have ADHD. I don't think they do. <laughs> well, yeah. The first I, multi-syllable word that I learned. <laughs> you procrastinate. I said, do what? And she explained what that was, and meanwhile, I'm thinking, well, of course. Yeah, you know, and, and remember, if we had a prefrontal cortex, we wouldn't need to procrastinate. Okay, so it wouldn't be interesting for us. Um, first, let me tell, tell on one of my daughters who does not have ADHD. Okay, mm-hmm. she is going on spring break next week. And she has decided she's going to get all her work done before she goes on holidays so that she can just rest when she's on vacation. Mm-hmm. And just that simple agreement with herself isn't ADHD or not ADHD. We all can have those ideals. But mm-hmm. here's what's different. She actually made a plan, and it wasn't that hard for her to do, to go, okay, so I need to get this biology homework done by this time. I need to get Mm -hmm. this homework done by this time. And she actually planned and charted everything out. Mm -hmm. And I listen to things like that, and I think two things. One, did I really give birth to her? Two, that's sorcery. How is she possibly thinking like that? Yes. And it's because, yes. It's because I I have ADHD, and I, I call it thinking around corners. It's like sometimes I can plan straight ahead, but I can't look around the corner 
and see what's around the corner and plan that. And she was actually fearing behind <laughs> consequence. Yes, that's another word that I learned. Yeah, deal with it when it gets there. Right. Um, a lot of us are smooth enough to call it just-in-time planning, mm-hmm. just-in-time homework. Uh, and procrastination comes so naturally to us that we're actually kind of motivated and we get a little bit high from it. We get these little dopamine surges by pushing the clock. Yeah, and I think we're and saying, so, hey, I can pull this off. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. I was working with a client yesterday, a lovely, smart young lady. Um, her homework for a particular particular class was due at midnight on Wednesday. Do you know when she would start it? 10 o'clock on Wednesday. Yeah. And I said, so now walk me through why aren't you starting it early? She says, well, it's not due till midnight. <laughs> and she said it so, duh, Tamara, come on, you should know this. And, and she wasn't I, even catching that she was procrastinating. Right. And she was I, motivating herself with a small window of time. And, and get that, okay, now I really have to do it. And so, bang, now I'm under the gun, and people say, yeah, I work better under pressure. Yes, you've convinced yourself, (laughs) because you actually do, because that really gets your adrenaline going, and bang, focus on it. I've got a a theory on this with the procrastination, in that when, of course, we started with our ADHD brains were there when we were three, and... You could get away with it, and it would get yep. done, usually. Yep. Um, and, okay, in fourth grade, you had to do this paper or do whatever. You could usually pull it off. You can't pull off doing a term paper the night before when you had to read two books and put those together. That isn't going to work at that level. Right. Yeah, so, procrastination fails us as complexity increases. Mm-hmm. So then we let's touch base on the uh, the malignant ones, the, the more evil ones. We've got anger, and boy, that's a big one. Yeah. Uh, have you seen patients who motivate themselves with anger? Um, I have to stop and think in terms of motivation. I think there is some of that. It's kind of a, I'll show you I can do this. Um, Yeah, yep. Yeah, Uh, the other day I was working with a husband and his wife had been saying, hey, would you please clean out the garage? Will you please clean the garage? Will you please clean the garage? And yeah, 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 I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. Mm -hmm. Finally, they had a fight. And he went out and he cleaned that gosh darn garage out of spite. And he's like, I showed her. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And And that, he was motivated to do that out of anger. And I'm hoping that your listeners can hear how all of these motivational tricks are really trapped. Yes. They're really Mm -hmm. things that we think work 
we convince ourselves, and they do work, but they cost us so much. Oh, and and I said, so what was the cost of you getting angry to clean the garage? Well, now he has to repair a relationship. Yes, and that's uh, anger is one of the things that is the the main thing that pops up in relationships because then his wife thought, well, I'm not going to say that again. And he exploded. I don't want that. Exactly. And there's that's exactly that. A subtle difference there, and that's uh, the rejection sensitivity, where there's a flashpoint of anger. That usually passes in five, ten minutes. The other person has just been blasted, and it doesn't pass in five minutes for them. And it's a little different than the motivational anger, but anger is a huge thing that gets in the way of relationships. Sure. Yeah. Um, I actually uh, made it through a lot of my tougher statistics classes um, in grad school uh, out of spite, pure spite. Um, I didn't believe the professor was teaching well, and I was angry, and I decided, I'm not giving this up. I'm just going to make him teach me. Now, yeah, (laughs) you know, I still pass my classes. Uh, the problem with that, and people would, would hear, well, you got your PhD, you did it. But here's the problem. If I had to conjure that, again, I did my PhD on medicated. If I had to conjure that, I am wasting a lot of energy. Yes. Where I could have put more energy into, I don't know, learning. I was actually burning fuel being angry. Yeah, and maybe you didn't have that energy then to go out with friends because you're exactly totally out of out of steam exactly yeah you know um i was i was on vacation with someone um last year and it was a couple and the the husband of my friend said to me wow camera you're always tired why are you always tired Hmm. And I have to tell you, I was really embarrassed with that question. But now, you know, I've thought a lot about that question, almost a year about that question. And I think the answer is because I am emotionally run and I am always distracted by using motivation, emotional motivation, instead of just relying Mm -hmm. on the just do it. And and like I say, there's other emotions that pop up and just wear me out, too. Oh, yeah. And I think that the next one we're looking at, shame, that's anger directed inward. And also, I'm not just, I I did something that wasn't a good idea, but I'm defective. I'm bad. That's why I can't do that. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, so there's, there's good shame. If you rob a bank, you should be ashamed of yourself, right? If you harm someone, there's there's good shame in that. And so we are built for healthy shame. The problem with our genius ADHD brains is we've learned to take that nasty feeling and turn it into a motivational force. Mm-hmm. The and so, oh, absolutely toxic. And so what happens is 
dismotivational usually happens after something occurred to try to teach us a lesson. Well, Tamara, if you had just prepared a little bit better, maybe that wouldn't have happened. It, it's a shaming kind of voice that's popping up. Mm-hmm. The goal of that voice is to try to teach me to prepare in the future. So, do you think it does? No. Absolutely not. No, <laughs> there's only two kinds of time with ADD or ADHD, whichever, now and not now. Well, the future right. isn't now. I don't have to worry about that. Um, right. We get hung up on the past. I, I really like your uh, concept of the present self looking at past self and thinking, boy, I better not do that again, which then the uh, present self doesn't remember. But then asking in the present, what would my future self want to tell me or be able to tell me? Uh, we can talk yeah. about that more, but I think that, yeah, that idea is great. Yeah, um, you're, you're talking about um, kind of what I use with clients to interrupt the shame cycle is to be kind to yourself in the present to go, okay, past self, you know what? You guys kind of, you kind of screwed us over because it's true. If you would have prepared more, we would have been here. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you know what? We forgive you. Future self, how can I hook you up tomorrow? Like what, what can I do to help you tomorrow? And so taking the three images of ourselves, and learning to be compassionate on the past self, and and learning to really go, what would help future camera tomorrow morning? And mm-hmm. um, sometimes I am just so delighted with past camera when she helps future camera. I am just so proud of them. And mm-hmm. usually I have to tell someone in my family about it, like, you want to know what past camera did that was so helpful? Past camera did this. Now, I still have ADHD. So sometimes future Tamara forgets that past Tamara was trying to help her. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to forget future Tamara for being ADHD too, right? Um, mm-hmm. And that's why literally I will leave notes to my future self. Hey, here's what you need to do. Um, and so instead of trying to shame ourselves into doing better, um, if you could use the three three kind of parts of yourself approach, to talk to the three different uh, parts, mm-hmm. I, a lot of times we can get out of that shame cycle easier. Um, by the way, the shame the shame is trying to speak to all three at once. Mm-hmm. You, you didn't do right in the past or present. You ought to feel terrible because you're a bad person because you didn't catch that. In future, you better watch out or you're going to feel that too. That's exactly it. Yes. Yep. And then the- so you, you see how, and again, we, we turn to shame. It's, it's really not that effective, but it, sometimes people feel like it's the only one we have. Yeah. So a lot of people turn to the shame cycle. And again, I think that's somewhat of a learned thing because uh, and children are more likely, I think, to assume I'm a bad person because I did this. 
but they're told you aren't trying hard enough. Why didn't you do this? Yeah. Why didn't you do that? Why is not a fair well, question to ask someone with ADD. I, I love that you say that. I always say never ask why. Mm-hmm. Ask what do we want to do about it. Yep. Love that you say it that way. So many kids, when they've done something wrong, parent goes to, why did you do that? In terms of, yep. of course you should have known not to. It doesn't right. know why, but obviously it's really bad, and so they must be a bad person because they didn't figure it out. Yeah, and so, you know, shame um, isn't always uh, anger pointed inward. Sometimes it's anger pointed outward. Um, I see this. Uh, I worked with a man this week who uh, drove into his garage door, and mm-hmm. this is such a good man, and he's running a large company. He's just so good at life, except he has ADHD. He makes mistakes. And he actually had an appointment with me and about 10 minutes after this happened. And he was still fuming. And I could tell that he was looking for something or someone to blame. And so the thing with shame is it's anger and it's blame and it has to go somewhere when you're dealing with shame. So is mm-hmm. it going to go inside? Are you just going to rot with it all inside? Are you going to just like vomit it on people? What What are you going to do? Yeah. And so, again, not a good motivator. No. Um, I think that yeah. I Brene Brown in her um, one of her books on shame, uh, Daring Greatly, um, she says people deal with shame in one of two ways, either escape or attack. Well, yep. he's attacking. Try to find someone to blame. Exactly. Not, not yeah. me. And yep. people escape. Well, I'm going to go play games on my phone or go to Amazon and spend $500, whatever. That's escaping that feeling because... This feels good when I, I can get some dopamine if I go over here. Exactly. And, the, and see, the brain has learned the pathway of shame because it's trying to go, okay, now remember future self. We don't want to feel like this, so don't do it again. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why it's, a, it, it's kind of a rotten way to motivate yourself. Absolutely, because you end up feeling worse and worse about yourself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. What's the the difference then with the self-loathing? How is that number six? Yeah. So self-loathing actually starts to uh, have a stronger belief system. And now we're getting into self-worth. And self-loathing is, I'm not worth it. I'm always going to screw up. You hear the beliefs that are forming here. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a failure. I can't do this. And so the self-loathing is, I am so thinking sick of my brain that I am going to try to hate myself into doing things. I would say by the time, if I see late diagnosed adults, like let's say um, in their 30s, 40s, 50s, there's almost always using some form of self-loathing to get through their day. 
so I'm just having I, a hard time wrapping my head around. I hate myself, and that's going to make me do things. Yeah. Well, it, it does. It's not logical, right? Um, but it's almost like doubling down to try. Like I'm going to, I'm going to. I got to prove it to myself that I don't totally stink at this. Uh. So, unfortunately, um. I have a lot of self-loathing, or I had. Okay, I've worked through. I mean, you can still peek, peek in every once in a while. Um, but here's what happened. My belief is I was totally horrible, period. Sure, I can write a book. No one's going to want to read it because I suck. And then I would push against that that belief that I created and go, okay, but what if I can and so I'm kind of creating an opposition in my head to work again. Okay. But the the self-loathing belief is so pervasive, it's exhausting. Oh yeah, and that's where. So. And when I. Yeah. Hear people say I can't, um, I. I can't put my phone down to go to bed. Yes, you can. You convince yourself <laughs> that you can't. And then you aren't getting sleep, so of course you run out of energy and you're on edge and angry and your memory doesn't work, but that's because you haven't gotten enough sleep. Right. So uh, here's here's how my self-loathing, and again, I, I want your listeners to know, I've walked this path, but I've done a lot of work, okay? So as I'm talking, this isn't current camera talking, but this is once upon a time camera. Um, so once upon a time, Tamara had such a self-critical, self-loathing voice that I literally gave it a name, Critical Kelvin. And I imagined that he would just hop up, he's a little monkey, hops up on my shoulder and just starts whispering the worst things in my head. Hmm. And you're going to fail. And, and it's almost like I, it gave me a nemesis to fight against. But inside, I was worried that Calvin was right. That critical Calvin's voice was so much there that I, I had to fight against him. No, I fought against him. I have clients who don't, who just finally give up with their critical Calvin. And they're like, you're right. I just won't even do it. Yeah. And that's where, again, that voice was created by us intended to like motivate us again air quotes right to motivate us and yet it backfired in this really unhealthy and sad way yes and i think then that goes into what is real common um with people with add is depression i can't get away out of that i'm feeling hopeless and helpless about it or when the anxiety is Apart from the, one of the other mechanisms, but it's also anxiety. I'm going to end up in that situation. Up oh, here, I am. I didn't do it yeah. before. I'm not going to be able to do it now. But I got to pass this test, and off into anxiety. One, I think this little guy was maybe eight years old, and he was mortified that he hadn't done well on the math test. Oh wasn't going to get into a good college and he'd be stuck in a low-paying job. I'm thinking, dude, you're 
you're anxious so far into the future. Let's yeah. back to what you can do about your math test. Um, but that anxiety right. was already there. And sure, I think generalized anxiety disorder, a full-blown disorder on its own, has some genetic basis, probably. So it's real common, 40% of people with ADHD have some element of anxiety that's a distinct yeah. thing address. They don't all have the full generalized part. Well, the anxiety and remember, a lot of different things that would make it show up that way. Yeah, and remember, most of us are using the anxiety to try to rev up our brain, to motivate ourselves. And so, you know, it's interesting that you bring up depression because um, it's common. I see in my clients, I, I call it ADHD depression mm -hmm. uh, because it's not clinical depression. It's what happens when we've run through all these tools, all these malicious mm -hmm. motivators, and we're just tired. And we can't keep going on because now we're at the end of self-loathing and we don't have anything. We don't have any more energy to fight critical Kelvin. We are exhausted. Mm -hmm. And that feels like depression because it's the absence of energy. And We've tried everything, the wrong way to do it, and it zapped our emotions and now we don't have anything. And then when... The doctor sees that person who comes in and says, I, I don't have any energy, I'm just not interested in anything. Oh, those are the primary things that go with depression. Here, take exactly. an antidepressant. And the same thing, right. anxiety. You're worried all the time, you're worried you're going to drink this time, you have so many things. Oh, I'm going to give you some medicine for anxiety. So many people, when we get to addressing their ADHD, you found a medication that works for them, they come back and they say, I didn't need that anxiety stuff anymore. Because the anxiety... That's exactly it. The ADHD thing. Not everybody, but oh, a lot of people. Yeah. The same question. Well, now I found I can do that. Because I can focus, I can stay with something, I can get it finished. Oh, I'm pretty good at that. Bang, the depression goes away. It's not hopeless anymore. That's exactly it. I, you know, I mentioned one of my pet peeves is that, you know, people believing that stimulants um, are addictive for those of us with ADHD. My other pet, pet peeve is, especially, and this happens especially in women, and I know you see it, women are often misdiagnosed. Oh, yeah. As having anxiety or depression. And it's ADHD. Yeah. And I, just as you said, when we treat the ADHD, the anxiety, that malicious motivator that we've been talking about, mm -hmm. the, the medication helps uh, it subside a little bit, subside. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that it's, and I'd say yes, it's more often women... Now we get their ADHD taken care of and their anxiety goes away. And I'm thinking, yes, because it's women who go in to say, I'm getting too anxious or I want to deal with this. And then just go out and do something else. They they avoid dealing with the emotion, much less the task. Yeah. 
you know, I just had a client uh, come in, or, well, she's a parent of a client, and she called me last night in tears. And she said, I went to a psychiatrist and said, I think I have ADHD. I went through the full thing. Now, um, she's very smart. Um, so she, she can kind of muster the anxiety to focus and everything. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, you don't have ADHD. And she's so frustrated because she's like, I know I have ADHD. I've heard you talk to, and she said her son's name, I've heard you talk to him. I know what ADHD is now. I know mm-hmm. that I have it. It's not just anxiety. It's not depression. I can't regulate dopamine. And yeah, and so many doctors will, and I've seen this in notes. Well, he can't have ADHD. Mother and I were talking. He paid attention to that game thing in his hand for the whole hour. He could pay attention right. just fine. Yeah. Oh, for heaven's sake! Yes. Or you can't have ADHD. You have a PhD. So what? Right. Don't have Did, yeah. Uh, this psychiatrist I, um, that the woman we went to said, well, it doesn't sound like you have ADHD because you were successful in college. Exactly. And, well, she's like, yeah, I was because I turned up the anxiety to motivate myself. Mm-hmm. And by the time you got to your junior and senior year, you were probably taking courses you were interested in in your major. So that's easier to get into exactly. the and uh, the interest, interest-driven and emotion, which interest comes from that, the avoidance of all these, all well, the avoidance and the procrastination and the anxiety that are all workarounds because we don't have that straight pathway to the executive function and just plan it and just do it. Um, Russell exactly. is one of the two preeminent um, people in the field of ADHD has said ADHD isn't a question of knowing what to do, it's of doing what you know. Right. What is that doing? That's yep. the problem. Yeah. So I guess, you know, we, we've run through the six, you know, motivator, the, you know, negative ways we motivate ourselves. Um, can we talk about how to motivate? Yeah, let's talk uh, about with some of them. Um, we'd be going on for three hours if we talked through all of them, I'm sure. Right, right. Well, that I think that certainly... Avoidance, avoidance, procrastination kind of run together. Um, let's talk about anxiety first because I think that's definitely a, um, a motivator and also leads into I can't get things done because I've got too much to do and I'm so anxious that it's not going to get done and I'm anxious someone's going to criticize me. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, um, I don't know if this is true, but uh, people say that uh, Inuits in uh, Alaska 
have many names for snow. Mm-hmm. And I think we need many more names for anxiety. Yes. Because I work with a lot of people, they say, well, I have anxiety. And I say, slow down. What is it that you actually need? And I've kept track, and I have about 11 different categories on what we need when we say anxiety. Mm. So to solve this, I would really ask the person to go, when you say anxiety, what do you mean? And they go, well, I'm anxious. Yes. What is it? What? Use another word for anxious or anxiety. And so when I ask for use another word, that's usually when we can't problem solve. So let's take one of the categories is worry. They say, well, Mm -hmm. I just worry that. And then I repeat and say, so you worry that blank. Yeah. Huh. So how could we, how could we ease that worry? Is that a realistic worry? Well, yeah, I could fail. Or, you know, I worry that I'll fail. Yeah, I could fail. Okay, what happens if you fail? And we kind of talk through that avenue. Will the world end? Will you end up living under a bridge? Like, what will actually happen if you fail this? And helping the brain see what the different outcomes are actually possible slows down the brain where maybe I don't have to use anxiety or worry in that moment. So one of the strategies for anxiety is to really try to insert a different word and go, this is what I'm feeling, and trying to slow down and resolve that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, uh, the medical definition of anxiety that's kind of the free-floating, this is a generalized anxiety disorder, is a fear of impending doom. Yeah. No matter how well things are going, something bad's going to happen. Yeah. Which is different than I'm worried about this, or I feel nervous when I go into a test, or I'm scared exactly. about Exactly. Right. Oftentimes specific situations. Rather yeah, and I... I would like to just put out a word to the parents listening. Please don't name your kids' worry anxiety. Yes. We don't have to have kids owning the word anxiety as early as they are. Um, and so if you're, if you're sensing that you're, you know, all, you know, parents love their kids. They want the best for their kids. And sometimes parents actually project their anxiety onto their kids. Mm-hmm. And usually if yeah. I'm working with a highly anxious child, there's a highly anxious parent. Absolutely. Right? So don't, uh, you know, it's really sad when parents come in and go, well, I need you to work with him on his anxiety. Well, there's already a couple problems there now. He doesn't understand it's an emotional tool meant to help him like he's meeting for it to help him perform. And now he's trying to, you're saying this is bad. And this is all confusing to him. Um, and it's his anxiety. It's something he has. 
So um, I, I literally have a stack of cards for different um, synonyms for anxiety. And we go through them. And I'm like, do you feel jittery? Do you feel concerned? Do you feel dread? And so we, we go through the stack and choose the cards and we talk through those things. And I say, okay, so if that's that, those, like, let's say you're dreading this because you just know taking this big long test is not going to be fun. Is that a good way to tell our brain to prepare for the test? That's not a good way to motivate ourselves. So how do we shift that to something that is more motivating? Mm-hmm. I was doing this exercise with um, a little guy uh, who's about nine years old already, you know, kind of paralyzed, like you said, you're a little guy in your office. And I said, so that doesn't sound like we're talking to the brain, like telling, like, oh, I'm dreading it. And his eyes lit up. He goes, what if I say, as soon as you're done with a test, you can go to lunch and you get two ice cream sandwiches? And I'm like, hey, buddy, I think we're on to something there. I'll ask your mom to make sure you can have two that day. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, he learned how to motivate himself by if I do this, then I can get this. Mm-hmm. And that if then it, is a great way to help with the anxiety. Oh, or when, right. then, when I walk into the classroom, then I'm going to turn in my homework. Bingo, that right. took care of all the anxiety of now what do I tell mom because I forgot to turn it in. <laughs> right. So so instead of, but we have to go back and we have to kind of break down the anxiety because once if we keep using this big monster of a word called anxiety, mm-hmm. it, we're never going to really understand what we're saying. Mm-hmm. So it started with this little guy when I, he realized I'm dreading it. I don't like this. I don't want to take the test, mm-hmm. right? It was dread. It wasn't anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't a fear that, again, that he was going to flunk out of college because he didn't do well on his spelling test in second grade. Right. That's exactly it. By the way, my daughter had a similar thing happen to her. She was upset because in second grade she didn't know which college she wanted to go to, and mm-hmm. she was very wrought around that. So, um, yeah, so that that's one of the techniques. Um, try to find the synonym that you really need for the word anxiety, and then, and then create this if-then kind of statement in your head. Avoidance is a harder one to trick because usually – Avoidance, we're teasing ourselves that we're actually getting something else done. Mm, Look at my sock drawer. It's all beautiful. And, you know, with one client, I would say to her, don't send me a picture of your sock drawer. I need a picture of your your assignment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm getting something done, and people will tell me. I know Uh I got... These four tasks done. Yes, I folded the laundry. I opened the mail. I put the bills in this <laughs> pile. But I didn't write that email to my boss that I needed to have out by 5 o'clock today. Right. That's what they were avoiding. 
Yeah, and you men- you mentioned something earlier um, that we know is, you know, ADHD brains, the problem, the, the reason why we could so easily use this tool of avoidance is because everything seems equally important. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so a lot of times I ask, what will happen if you don't get this task done? And then if I could slow ourselves down enough to think through, what will happen if? By the way, we could use that part of our brain, can't we, in a DMN. Mm-hmm. And so what would happen if I don't get this done today? Well, my boss is waiting for a response. If I don't, he could just go ahead and make the decision without me, but I really want him to know that I thought about this. And then usually once we can start the what-if process, it kind of helps people actually do the thing. Um, the other the other problem um, that I see is many of our um, uh, fellow ADHDers don't know how to sequence. Oh, yeah. Sequence, um, I mean, it, that's one of those yeah. function areas that doesn't work. Um, oh, it, and so uh, it's amazing. Uh, I was working with a math major from U of M, a very smart young man, right? Math. You would assume he could sequence. And I was walking him through, okay, now what is it that you have to do first before you start this assignment? And so I was really slowing down, helping him sequence. And then I said to him, what we just did was called sequencing. And ADC people aren't good at it. And then I put myself on mute. We were on the over the working over the phone that day. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad I was on mute because I literally laughed out loud at the next, next thing he said. He went, "What? How come no one ever taught me this?" Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I didn't laugh directly at him because it was a moment of learning for him. But, you know, the truth is people were trying to teach him that since kindergarten, perhaps yeah. even preschool. And I, I just but the ADHD thought, brain's so bad at it. Yeah, and it, it's, again, it's a function that other people have. And so many times people assume, well, I can do this. I have a brain. You have a brain, so you can do it. No. Exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are different brains. I mean, I have hair and you have hair. That doesn't mean I can think mine into blonde hair. It is a Right. Now, one of right. the things you just said on the you know, the sequencing. Well, in order to do that, you have to look at okay, what what are the steps? Then you can put them in order. And so many things say rather glibly. Yeah, you have a big task and it seems like too much. Just break it into parts and do a smaller amount. Okay. And someone the other day said, but I don't know how to break it into parts. I don't know which part exactly. to start first. That's that sequence. Yep. So, yep. Help in and then, that, that gets us. Helping to be able to break it into parts. Exactly. And, and if you do have parents listening, you can help your child just by slowing it down and just asking sequencing questions. What do you think mm-hmm. comes first? What do you think comes second? 
and knowing that we're going to mess it up. I literally have a notebook that I carry around that helps me sequence my activities. And, you know, if you read my notebook, it looks like just a crazy lady writes it in it. Because there'll be scribbles like, nope, this comes first, and there'll be arrows. Mm -hmm. and oh, yeah. I have to figure out how to get things started. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the... Uh People, a lot of people with ADD, oh, need to have a task list. They write all these tasks down. And I think the question um, you talked about a minute ago was, okay, what if I don't get this done today? That's right. going to be a way to pick out, oh, these three need to be on top because yeah. bad stuff's going to happen if I don't get them done. But the exactly. ADHD brain doesn't think of that planning yep. consequence. That's later. It's not now. It's later. Right. And yep. that's where slowing down to think about it and say, okay, and ask that question, consciously ask that. And we need to um, come to a close on this chapter, section, couple chapters, and pick up our conversation another time. Um, I think there have been a lot of wonderful tips in terms of how to deal with uh, some of these things that come up for all of us with ADHD, um, particularly uh, ones that I'm thinking are helpful, the present self asking what future self would like to have had happen, how can present self be nice to future self, and acknowledge past self, yep, well, we can do better, fine, it didn't work that time, um, and with the tasks, what would happen if you didn't get this done, and then that breaking things down into steps, and maybe it's um, looking at what are the separate tasks that you have to, yeah, you have to have your pen and paper and you have to make sure your computer's charged up and you have a charge cord for your phone, all those little parts that then now you can um, start your, your first sentence or start in the middle uh, of a paper. I always wrote the introduction later. I didn't know what yep. I was going to talk about until I had it written down. Then I could go back and introduce it. My guest exactly. today has been Dr. Tamara Rosier. Her book that just got published is Your Brain's Not Broken, Strategies for Navigating Your Emotions in Life with ADHD, which is a wonderful run-through and a delightful personal and informal writing style I think it's a great book for all of us with ADHD. And Dr. Rosier and I will continue our conversation at another time, and you will get another sequence of shows from us. Tamara, so glad that you could uh, make time in your busy schedule to be able to talk. It's been a pleasure. Anytime. I love the work you do, and just keep doing the good work. Well, thank you. This is Dr. David Pomeroy, your host on ADHD Focus. Hope you have enjoyed and learned from what we've talked about. 
and we'll talk again soon.